Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we have a special report from Cameroon, with the start of the African Nations Championship just four weeks away. There might be issues with the Cameroon team, but the facilities are looking great. For the next 100 years, I don't think Cameroonians would be thinking of creating or building this kind of infrastructure. That's coming shortly, plus we go into our 2020 archive and hear from Belgium-based Zambia forward Fashion Sakala on how he made it to Europe. And we ask if it's time for Mikel Arteta to leave Arsenal. But first, France Football, the publication behind the Ballon d'Or Award, came up with their 33 greatest players ever this week with an all-time top 11, plus a second team and a third team. 140 journalists voted, and their first team includes Pele, Maradona, Ronaldo and Messi. Well, Zinedine Zidane only made the second team, and Thierry Henry is in the third team. But there was outrage across the continent as there are no African players in this top 33, and four-time African footballer of the year Samuel Eto tweeted sarcastically, saying, We Africans, we don't exist. Well, the bar is very high in this top 33, I must say, but uh, not a single African player there, Ida. Well, in all frankness, Steve, I think that we as Africans should stop waiting on validation from the West. It is about time. And look, it might sound idealistic, but that's what we should be focused on. Because I believe if we were busy creating structures to build, creating structures to promote our own, then such omissions would simply find us on the way to the promised land, you know, so to speak. And let's be realistic at the same time. Does recognition feel great totally was at all justified in his reaction yes does the snub sting absolutely but I think that what should override that feeling ultimately is our conviction and our purpose towards living things better than we found them and celebrating our own. And if you ask me, the concept of the CAF Awards, though very arguable in how it's developed over the years, I think at the very most basic level, at least, seems to have had this idea in mind. But going back to the list, Steve, look, it seems that the publication made it clear, made it crystal clear where it holds African footballers or footballers of African descent at that. You know, look at the likes of where Zidane and Henri were put. And, you know, several journalists came out later referencing the absence of uh, J.J. Okocha, you know, the likes of Samuel Eto'o, Drogba, Mohamed Abutrika, and so many others. But the thing is, there's a way the other party would be able to argue it out. You know, the likes of J.J. Okocha perhaps never even won the Car Football of the Year, as arguable as it may seem. Drogba, Eto'o, Abutrika, and so many others never won the Ballon d'Or even. But for me, Steve, the fact that a Ballon d'Or winner, George Ware, couldn't make the top 33 was absolutely laughable. And I think I will leave it at that. 
Well, there's certainly a lot of debate on that one. Thanks, Ida. Stay with us. Uh, Now, it's less than a month to the start of the 2020 African Nations Championship in Cameroon. Uh, This is the tournament which is for home-based players, and it should have been played in April but was postponed because of COVID-19. Sixteen teams will take part across three cities, that's Douala, Yaoundé and Limbe. In 2022, Cameroon will host the Africa Cup of Nations with 24 teams taking part, so this is a dress rehearsal of sorts. Now with this special report from Cameroon on the preparations, here's Planet Sport Football Africa's and GANO in Yaoundé. Cameroon's officials have disbursed considerable financial resources to refurbishing and erecting close to 30 stadiums and training facilities. The most significant of these stadiums are the 60,000-seat facility in Yaoundé, Cameroon's political capital, and an ultra-modern 50-seat stadium in Japoma, Douala. The Olembe Sports Complex has been earmarked for the 2022 Afghan, but its two annex amenities are expected to host training sessions at the site of the Olembe Sports Complex. The turf is evergreen and works are well on course to ensure that teams train in good conditions. Earlier this week, Cameroon's Prime Minister Joseph Dionguti taught the various football infrastructure and he was visibly impressed by the quality of stadiums which he said were of World Cup standards. I can assure Cameroonians that they should be proud of what we have achieved. It is true that uh, we have a few details to complete. Some of them will be completed before the Shan competition begins. But I think every Cameroonian should be proud of what we have because this is comparable to what exists anywhere else in the world. For the next 100 years, I don't think Cameroonians would be thinking of creating or building this kind of infrastructure. So we've done something for many generations. Cameroon's local organizing committee has turned its focus towards training volunteers and health personnel on containing crowds and ensuring that there is a respect of the barrier measures against COVID-19, as stated by the tournament manager, Michel Disakembarga. Start with the training of volunteers. Uh, the medical commission also will train the staff to manage crowd when there's crisis. The last phase of training will be for the stadia managers for them to take off the security of spectators. We should be truthful. This pandemic will have a negative impact in all our organization. We are thinking about how we can manage the spectators because I think the Champions League is being played with spectators. We just see the capacity CAF can permit to admit in the various stadia. But the apparent serenity displayed in the organization of the tournament isn't visible in all aspects. The host team, Cameroon, rocked by several troubles, are heading to the continental event in varying states of disarray. In three previous participations, Cameroon's best finish has been two quarterfinal spots in 2011 and 2016, but hopes of silverware have dwindled with the recent happenings around the team. In October, the Lions head coach Yves Clemangaroga was sacked and replaced by 62-year-old Martin Tungumpile, after Cameroon played two draws with South Sudan in friendlies. Ntungu, who had previously led Cameroon to the quarterfinals at the 2016 Shan, since taking over the team has had to juggle with having a competitive team, despite the absence of a vibrant championship, a fallout of the power tug of war between Cameroon's Football Federation and the country's professional football league. Last week, coach Ntungum Pile provided a damning assessment of his side's gear-up, expressing frustration over what he said were poor conditions. 
Cameroonian sports journalist Lawrence Nkede is pessimistic that the Lions are heading into a poor tournament. Nobody sure that Cameroon will pass the quarterfinals or the semifinals of the competition. We are hosting the competition and we are not among the favorites. But coach Dugu Pile has been very criticized for the choice of players and for the way things are being carried out. He has opted when you look at the list of uh, 28 players. It's true that we have completely almost wiped out everything that was done by Clement Aroga and starting at fresh. He needs players who have that lion spirit, that fighting spirit, who have the experience of maybe international competition or who have gone international. That's sports journalist Lawrence Nkede ending that report from Planet Sport Football Africa's and GANO in Yaoundé in Cameroon. Uh, so it's not clear yet how many fans will be allowed to attend, but the facilities are looking good. And as we heard there, the Cameroon team not in good shape. Uh, what do you make of how it's going, Ida? Well, as a Kenyan, you know the Chan tournament, Steve, often elicits strong reactions from my country people. And especially because of what happened two years ago, you know, with Kenya's trip to the hosting, right? So on one hand, look, I'm glad that the situation in Cameroon definitely isn't as dire as ours was back in 2018. And well, from the report, at least, it seems that the issues are more internal than infrastructural. CAF even giving its stamp of approval on Cameroon's And as for the fans, well, reports are that between CAF and the local organizing committee that they could allow up to 25% attendance in the stadiums, though it would also be important, if you ask me, to get a scope of the COVID-19 situation in Cameroon. I mean, recent tournaments have shown us just how quickly infections can rise, you know, and uh, even more so within a team setup. You saw, Steve, the scenarios that played out in the CAF Champions League, the Confederation Cup, and even more recently at the Under-20 UNAF Championship. That was where 17 Egypt players and their coach tested positive ahead of their match versus Libya. So what are the contingencies in terms of available nearest hospital? tolls, testing, what are the strategies in case a game can't be played out because of infections and with Chan being a tournament for locally based players Steve, well match fitness, you know, will definitely be an interesting aspect of the tournament because we know most leagues in Africa have just or are still in the process of resuming unlike abroad in Cameroon for example, I mean sports resumed in October after a 7 month hiatus and to add salt to injury Chan will happen if I may say so against an ugly backdrop of local football fights in Cameroon with parties taking each other as far as the court of arbitration for sport so Steve I think it will definitely be a situation of making the best from a not so perfect setup Yes, sure. So it's just around the corner, Saturday the 16th of January, the start of the 2020 African Nations Championship. Thanks, Ida. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Now to social media, and last week we asked, do players need helmets to prevent head injuries? 
The recent clash of heads between Arsenal's David Luiz and Wolves' Raúl Jiménez has raised a new debate about concussion and other head injuries. So we asked, do players now need helmets when playing to prevent concussion? Uh, Gunners coach Mikel Arteta called for temporary concussion substitutions. So we asked, what do you think is the best way forward regarding head injuries and heading the ball? Should players wear helmets? Should substitution be compulsory when a player has a head collision? Or is some other action needed? Here with the comments is Planet Sport Football Africa's Ifrem Tagu. Uh, thanks, Steve. And we start today with uh, Sana Jone in the Gambia, who says, uh, football is sometimes risky. Uh, so to me, if there's a helmet uh, that will not hinder the performance of players, I think uh, the authorities should look into it. I think they need to wear a helmet to prevent concussion. Uh, the head is one of the most sensitive parts in the body and need to be protected, says Sana. But Bighton Chico in Malawi says he would prefer a different solution. Head injuries are very dangerous and need to be looked into seriously, says Bighton. However, I would not prefer the use of helmets as it would jeopardize the heading ability of the players. Frida Vienda Okachi in Kenya shares a similar view. I think in every game some accident must occur, says Frida, but I don't think helmets will be good as when you wear a helmet and head the ball, it won't bounce as far as expected. I think the Gunners coach's idea brings more sense as the adding of substitutions will be awesome and will help those with head injuries to relax. And Richard Deco Ababio in Ghana agrees, I don't think it can be possible to use helmets to play football, says Richard. Mohamed got in touch from the Gambia. I don't think wearing helmets would prevent head injuries because it is generally accepted while that uh, headgear can prevent surface wounds. It is far less clear whether it will protect against concussion, says Mohamed. So I think the game needs compulsory substitutions if a player suffers concussion and also introduce an emergency sub uh, just in case a player suffers a serious head injury relating to concussion. And uh, Alaji, also in the Gambia, agrees uh, players definitely need to be protected, says Alaji, and substitution should be compulsory in my view. However, K-Boy in the Gambia takes a different perspective. Injury is part of football, says K-Boy. So while I don't think it's necessary for all players to use a helmet, but if they have had an injury like him and his, then they should wear a protective helmet. And Obina in Nigeria agrees. Uh, going forward, says Obina, football lawmakers should uh, consider players wearing helmets like uh, the one Petr Cech and uh, Christian Kivu used to wear with the recent rise in the case of uh, dementia amongst uh, retired players. Uh, the time to act is now. The need for a temporary concussion substitution can never be overemphasized. Well, yes, and uh, Obina referring there to the former Arsenal and uh, Chelsea goalkeeper Petr Cech who wore protective headgear after suffering a nasty injury uh, playing against Reading in 2006 and the Romania international Christian Kivu uh, who recovered from an horrific injury when playing for Inter Milan uh, back in 2010. Uh, Both players recovered and were able to resume uh, their careers with both wearing protective headgear. However, Moses in Nigeria sees a potential problem here. In my own uh, candid opinion, uh, players do not need to wear helmets, says Moses. Wearing helmets will make players more aggressive, knowing full well uh, that is, uh, they have their heads protected. They might go into a challenge recklessly. 
Ibrahim in Sierra Leone compares the situation of footballers with people working in other professions. Even those working on a farm sometimes have such injuries, says Ibrahim. And also people in other professions, even office workers, can be at risk at times, but they don't stop working. In football, if it happens often and concussion becomes a regular event, then a change should be sought. Ecclesiastes in Uganda is not a fan of uh, protective headgear. That's hilarious, <laughs> says Ecclesiastes. Helmets? Isn't that American football? Uh, some other action, please. I can't bear the thought of players wearing helmets. Too many bad things are hurting the beautiful game. Musa Kamara in uh, the uh, Gambia agrees. Uh, uh, to be honest, I, I think there is no need for players to wear helmets, uh, but substitutions should be compulsory when a player has had a head collision, uh, says Musa. And finally, Ari Naitwe Emi in Uganda believes widespread action is not necessary for what he sees as uh, just an occasional issue. No. Not really. I don't believe helmets are necessary, says Arinaitwe. Head injuries have not been a common injury in the game, although players sometimes do accidentally knock others with an elbow or the head, and a few more have been intentional. You can't wear a helmet as if you're going to war. Uh, so there you have it, uh, Steve, and most of our correspondents this week uh, don't see the need for players to wear helmets. Uh, but there's a lot of support for the idea of a compulsory substitution when a player receives a head injury. Thanks, Ephraim. That's Ephraim Tagu there. And since we posed that question, news is that uh, this Wednesday, FIFA approved the use of concussion substitutions, where a player with a head injury can be replaced, even if his team has used all of the allowed substitutes. Uh, but FIFA did not approve the situation that we see in rugby, where a player with a head injury can be replaced temporarily while being assessed by a doctor. Now, this week on social media, it's a big question. It's a hot one. We're asking, should Mikel Arteta go? Uh, Arsenal fans all around Africa debating this one. And the Gunners' 1-0 loss to Burnley last weekend was their fourth home defeat in a row. They followed that with a home draw against Southampton midweek. It leaves the Gunners 15th in the table and with seven defeats in their past 11 league games. Now, after the Burnley defeat, uh, Gunners fans booed the team off and manager Mikel Arteta blamed Granit Xhaka for getting a red card, but calls for him to go are growing. So should Arteta go? Give us your thoughts. You can go to our Facebook page and post a comment there. That's Planet Sport Football Africa. Or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Should Arteta go? Now, as we reach the end of 2020, it's time to go into our archive and listen to some of our best interviews of the year. Uh, back in January, we featured an interview with exciting young Zambian forward Fashion Sakala who's now 23 and is a regular in the first team of Belgian side KV Ostend. Sakala has shone for Zambia at under-20 level, and he has five appearances for the senior national team. Well, Sakala is a follower of Jesus, and on his Instagram page he quotes the Bible and says, I believe in God, and he's the key of my career success. Well, Planet Sport Football Africa's Liam Flint asked about his football and his faith, First on how he got the chance to go to Europe. When I look at my life, I can see that God is with me. God has changed a lot in my life. I was born from a very poor family, a family that we used to sleep without food. 
a family that has not had nothing to to rely on and uh, we believe that God is there for us you know we used to to have prayers as a family and that's the the time I started becoming stronger and stronger in God making my faith being more stronger and stronger in God I kept that from my childhood that God is there for me God will help me I always read the Bible I always read the Bible every day and I pray every day so I believe what the Bible says. I remember when I was uh, in grade six, when we had uh, prayers, then I told my dad that the Bible said in John 14, verse 14, that whatever I ask in his name, he will give it to me. So I told my dad that I want to be a professional footballer. And then that time I was very young. And then my dad said, if you believe in God, that God will do it for you, then you'll be a professional footballer. So from that time, I kept that in my mind that whatever I ask in God, God would do it for me. I kept it in my mind that God is there. And I kept on asking him that he could help me to be a professional player. Things just kept on going. I never lost hope. I kept on believing that God is there for me until he answered me. I was born in a Lulu area. It's a place whereby even people from there, they can't believe that I'm here now. They yeah. can't believe that I'm here now, but uh, God did it for me. He answered my prayers, and I also wanted to prove him that what I promised him, I can also do it for him. I came to realize that all these things that are, which are happening in my life now, it's, it's all by the grace of God. God is the key of my career success. So uh, many Zambians, I mean, even outside Zambia, just people across the continent look up to yeah. you, and they must yeah. see that success that you're having now and think, wow, that's an amazing story. Can you just tell us, for all those people listening who are maybe young players across Africa, how did you get yourself spotted? How did you get yourself noticed when you were playing grassroots football back in Africa? The first thing, like I always say, they have to believe in God. They have to believe that God is there for them. In whatever situation they are going through, they have to believe that God is there for them because uh, there is a reason for everything they are going through. There is a purpose in every situation that we are going through. So they have to believe that God is there for them. We had a tournament, you know, it's like inter-schools. I think we had like uh, four games, inter-school games. And then uh, I scored like nine goals. That was my first time when I realized that I can do it in football. Because that's the time I received my first call to go to a better team. After that tournament of the school inter-schools tournament... I joined the team that was playing amateur. And then uh, I went there. I had a very good season. I played uh, I played 17 games. I scored uh, 36 goals. The following year, we had the interprovincial games. I was the only player who was selected from my school. That was 20, 2013. That's the time that's the time I met Patson Daka yeah, that time when we were schoolboys. And he was playing for Lusaka province. I was playing for Eastern province. I went there. I had a very good tournament for provincial games. I, I, I played six games. I scored nine goals. I was the top scorer of the tournament. And uh, one teacher got my line. That's how I got noticed by the club, which plays in the first, uh, now it's, now it's in the second league, but by then it was in the first league, Zambia Super League, uh, Changa Rangers. So I knew that that was not me being a good player, but uh, it was by the grace of God. It's, it was just the way. It, God was making a way for me. It, he was making the way for me to make it in, in football. 
He's a miracle-working God, and he performed his miracles for me. Well, quite a story. That's a Zambia forward fashion Sakala speaking to Liam Flint on his football and his faith as a follower of Jesus. That interview from our archives from earlier this year. Well, next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, to our European football expert Stuart Weir in the UK. And Stuart, let's start with this week's social media question. Do you think that Arsenal should part ways with manager Mikel Arteta? Whilst the Arsenal followed a defeat to Burnley with a draw with Southampton, so it's certainly a bad run that they're on. And in fact, the last time Arsenal lost four home league games in a row was 1959. Even you won't remember that. They don't help themselves, though, with a red card for Chaka against Burnley and for Gabriel against Southampton. And Gabriel, incredibly, was the seventh Arsenal player to get a red card in the Premier League this year. That's more than any other club. Steve, I did predict uh, last week that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang would score soon, and he did against Southampton. <laughs> but I hadn't expected him to score twice in the week because, of course, he got an own goal against Burnley. I do understand the frustration of Arsenal fans that their club seems to be going backwards with only four wins in 13 games this season. But let's not forget that Arteta has not yet been the Arsenal manager for a full year. Aubameyang is in his fourth season at Arsenal and is playing under his fourth manager. Does he really want a fifth manager? When Arteta was appointed exactly a year ago, He seemed to tick all the boxes. He was familiar with English football. He had played 11 years in the Premier League. He had been assistant coach at Manchester City when they were the best team in the country. He was a former Arsenal player. He understood the club. But as we have seen with Manchester United and Alex Ferguson, replacing a manager like Arsene Wenger, who has been there for a long time and who has been very successful, is not easy. Of course, it would be very simple for Arsenal to fire Arteta, but finding a replacement who is guaranteed to take Arsenal to a top four finish might prove a lot harder. I think Arsenal must stick with him and either give him a sensible budget in the January transfer window, or if that is not possible because of the loss of revenue due to COVID, then they have to accept that Arteta cannot transform Arsenal overnight. So Stuart says that Arteta should stay. Tell us what you think on our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. And a Stuart, a great two one win for Liverpool on Wednesday over Tottenham with that late goal to send the Reds top. Liverpool dominated the game in terms of possession and chances, but Jose Mourinho's well-organised defensive counter-attacking approach was within three minutes of getting the draw. And indeed Tottenham themselves had the chances to win it. Mourinho will be annoyed that Firmino was given a free header from a corner to score that winning goal. True to form afterwards, Mourinho told Jurgen Klopp that the better team had lost. Klopp, we understand, disagreed with him. I'm sure he did. And at West Brom, the first team to fire their manager this season. Slavin Bilic had been there for a season and a half. And in his first season in charge, he got the team promoted to the Premier League. But with the team currently second from the bottom, one win and four draws in 13 games, the club has decided to fire him. But the simple facts are that promoted clubs normally struggle in the Premier League. West Brom made no major signings 
to strengthen a championship squad in the summer. And it was obvious to everyone that it was going to be a long, hard season for them. I don't think that firing Billets will change that. It was ironic that it happened the day after Albion had battled to an excellent draw with Manchester City. The English league can be very harsh. The new manager is Sam Allardyce. He's 66 and is seen as an expert at keeping clubs in the Premier League. He's previously taken charge at seven Premier League clubs and is yet to be relegated from the top flight. His previous clubs were Bolton, Newcastle, Blackburn, West Ham, Sunderland, Crystal Palace and Everton. A former defender, his approach is based on strong defence, organisation and I think one might say effective rather than beautiful football. Steve, there was sad news recently with the death of Gerard Houllier, the former Liverpool manager who was only 73. He had been at Liverpool for six years, 1998 to 2004, and later had one season as manager of Aston Villa. In 2001, he took Liverpool to a cup treble, winning the FA Cup, the League Cup and the UEFA Cup. He was an interesting character who went into football management later in life than many, not having been a professional player himself. He had originally worked in Liverpool as a French teacher, and so when he was appointed manager of the club, he may have been new to English football, but was very familiar with the city. He was good with words, once telling journalists, You say my team are not winners, but they have proved that they are, by finishing fourth, third and second. Work that one out. He was a good manager and a genuinely nice man whose working life was cut short by the heart problems that ultimately killed him. And he was immensely popular in the city of Liverpool. Uh, he certainly was, and a great manager was uh, Gerard Houllier. Uh, thanks very much, Stuart. Uh, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers, and Ephraim Tagu in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, and Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.